Uh, would you please turn with me to your uh, study outline that you'll find there in your program as you're turning. Let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at Baptist Community Church in Arco, Idaho, and also our friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word, and so glad to have you with us. Uh, today we're starting a new series uh, as we launch into a new decade. It's called What's Next? As we launch into a new decade for us personally and as a church. Uh, we're now 150 years old, so as a church, we're entering into our 16th decade as a church. And I believe the first uh, steps that you take personally into this new decade are very, very important uh, because they set the stage for the, for the whole decade to come. Uh, if you look at the graphic of, of this series that you'll see there on the front of your program, when I first glanced at it, I thought it looked like they were going upstairs. Uh, it looked like instead of a runner across level ground, but going upstairs at first glance. And this week I saw a quote by Zig Ziglar that there is no elevator to success, you have to take the stairs. There's no elevator to success, you have to take the stairs. And that's so true. The Christian life is so many times like just stair steps. And the first stair steps you take are in many ways the most important because they set the tone for the whole decade. Habits you develop at the beginning of the de decade will determine where you end up at the end of the decade. Uh, if you, I, I apologize if you can't find it there, but those of you that can, if you look in front there in the book rack, right there in front of you, is a, one of the cards says who we are, who we are. And right there you have our vision, mission, and our values. Our vision is everyone everywhere following Jesus. Our mission is helping people find their purpose to connect with God, connect with others, and to connect others with God. And then right there in the middle of our five core values, it says growing people change. As you follow Jesus, you will always have a next step to take. And this series is all about what is that next step that God uh, wants you to take as you enter into a, a, a new decade. So for the next four weeks, we're going to ask God to show us each week what's the next step in four different areas. Um, uh, three weeks from today, making a difference. Two weeks from today, discovering purpose. Next Sunday, I'll preach on finding freedom. And then today, we want to talk about knowing God. And we're gonna, and I really encourage you, try to make all four of, of these next Sundays, today and then the next three Sundays, really try to make them because I'm going to try to give you some practical, concrete habits we can develop at the beginning of the decade that's going to change how we end the decade up. Now, I want us to set the stage for knowing God, what we're going to talk about today. And these first uh, five minutes are going to seem random, um, uh, but you'll see the point by the end. You say, Glenn, how's that different from any other sermon that you preach? So uh, these next few minutes are going to be random, but it's all going to make sense uh, at, at the end. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 3. Uh, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. Now, I'm going to go take you back to seventh grade science class. Uh, the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. That's 11,600,000 miles per minute. That's 669,600,000 miles per hour. That's 5.88 trillion miles a year. And Isaiah uh, said in Isaiah 40, verse 26, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? 
First, we have a picture of the Milky Way. And here's just a stat that I just find staggering. Uh, you can count one star in the Milky Way, which is the equivalent of our sun, one star in the Milky Way per second, it would take you 2,500 years to name them all. One star a second uh, of the Milky Way, it would take you 2,500 years. And yet the Milky Way is one of hundreds of billions of galaxies. Uh, and the Milky Way galaxy is just one. And then we have a picture of the Earth. And even though God created all that vast universe, he cares what happens here. God cares about every detail of what happens on this planet. Uh, Jesus said uh, that God knows the number of hairs on the head of every person on that planet. Now, some of us make it easier on God uh, than others do. Uh, Jesus said, if a sparrow, if a sparrow dies on that planet, God, the creator of the universe, notices that. Uh, David writes, when I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Here's another, to me, amazing um, picture. Here's a picture of uh, North America. But if you take our solar system relative to the Milky Way galaxy, so what our solar system is in context within our galaxy, it's like placing a quarter, taking a quarter, and putting it somewhere on the continent of North America, that's the equivalent of our solar system to the, our entire galaxy. Here's a picture of the sun. It's 93 million miles away. Light takes eight minutes from the sun to get here to Earth. It's 100 times the diameter of the Earth. Here's a picture of the surface of the sun. It's 11,000 degrees on the surface. And here's another, just to me, unbelievable uh, stat. Um, it would take 7 million years of the United States GNP, 7,000 years of the output, economically, of the United States to run the sun for one second. 7 million years of our GNP to, to run the sun for just one second. Uh, here's a picture of a star. These are all from the Hubble telescope. It's 600 light years from Earth. It's called the Battle Geese Star. It's a thousand times the size of our sun. Uh, here's another one, a picture of what's called the Vela Pulsar. Here's a picture of the Ring Nebular. Uh, it's 2,000 light years away. It's a dying star. And so just this star is one light year or 5.88 trillion miles across. Uh, the next one is the Hourglass Nebula. Uh, called that for obvious reasons. Here's a gorgeous one called the Pillars of Creation. It's 6,500 years away. Each pillar is four light years long. Here's another one called the Stella um, uh, sp Spire. Uh, it's 9.5, nine and a half uh, light years away. 57 trillion miles high. Here's another one called the Giant Twisters. Um, here's a picture of a giant star uh, that has exploded. It's 160,000 light years away. Here's what's called a barred spiral galaxy. And scientists refer to it as a grand design galaxy because it seems to have a designer behind it. Now, forgive me for a, a tangent on top of a tangent here. Um, I've, I've mentioned this stat before. Uh, to me, it's just like with the evidence in front of us, 
How could we not believe there's a designer behind the design of the universe? The chances that life, if you take the 153 parameters, and those are increasing the number of parameters uh, for there to be life on a planet, as in, uh, scientists are discovering more all the time, but if you take just 153 of those parameters, uh, the chances of a planet having life somewhere in our universe is 1 in 10 to the 194th power. Now, Greg, the mathematician, help me on the front row. Is that one in 10 with 194 zeros, or is it one in one with 194 zeros? This, okay, after the one. Thank you. Yeah, the mathematician's always like fingernails on the blackboard when I do these things. But in, in the universe, there's only 10 to the 22nd power. Uh, 10, uh, that is a 1 in 1 with 22 zeros after it, uh, of planets in the universe. So that means there's only one chance in 10 to the 172nd power, one chance in 1 followed by 172 zeros, that there would be one planet in the universe where life could exist. And, and yet uh, people that just refuse to confront the evidence say we were just lucky. Or the newest theory of Richard Dawkins and other prominent atheists is that there are multiple universes. But if I'm to understand that one correctly, that would mean that there have to be one in 10 to the 172nd power multiverses in order for there to be chance for there to be life somewhere uh, out there. Um, now, you can accept that we're just lucky and then we just won the lottery uh, against those astronomical odds but here's something that I find just unbelievable, which is a more recent discovery. You can just say, well, we, we just got lucky against those unfathomable odds. But now we've discovered that our planet happens to be in the perfect place in the universe in order to see the rest of the universe. Okay? We happen to be in the right spot. In other spots, they can't see the rest of the universe for various reasons. But we just happen to be in the perfect spot to get the perfect view. So now you've got to believe that not only were we lucky enough for one planet to have life on it, but that planet had to be lucky enough to happen to be in the one spot in the universe where you could see the rest of the universe. It's just impossible. I don't have enough faith to believe that. My faith is too small in order to believe that. Uh, here's another one, the Sombrero Galaxy, for obvious reasons. Um, 28 million light years from Earth, 50,000 light years across. You could fit 800 billion of our suns into it. Uh, here's another one called the Whirlpool Galaxy. It's another one of those grand design galaxies. It's 31 million light years away. And here's what's really cool. If you zoom into the center, you find something that's 1,000 light years across. And that's been sitting there, 31 million light years away, a thousand light years across. God has just been waiting for us to find that one until we could develop technology enough just to discover that little thumbprint that he stuck there in, in, in the middle of that. Hebrews um, 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, 
sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, what's the point of all this? Here's the point. The God that created all of that, the God that holds all of it together, wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants you to get to know him. He wants to walk with you through this next decade. That God that created it all, that holds it all together, he loves you and he knows you, but he wants you to get to know him. So as we begin a new decade, doesn't it just make sense that we put into place certain concrete, practical steps to get to know God better by the end of the decade than we did at the beginning of the decade. Now, how do you get to know God? There are many, many ways. Let me just cover a couple of them this morning. The first is building your relationship with God uh, through prayer. Building your relationship with God uh, through prayer. Now, people, myself at the front of the line, I want you to know I get intimidated about having a, a strong prayer life. And, and many people like me are intimidated because we think that in order to have a good prayer life, you have to go to some special place and pray on your knees for an hour or two every day. Now that is wonderful when you can do it. Boy, that is, that is a phenomenal experience. As a matter of fact, I would push going through our 10-week rooted experience that you can, uh, that's starting up here in a week, I, 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 and you can go out and, and connect with rooted out in their table that's out in the middle of the lobby. I, I would push the rooted experience just for the prayer exercise alone. Just for the prayer exercise of the rooted experience, I, I would push that. But it's not the only way to have a good prayer life. Chris Hodges writes, here's the secret. Don't make prayer an event or an obligation. Let it simply be an ongoing conversation with God each day. Uh, Paul hints uh, this direction. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, never stop praying. Now, for you Awana kids uh, here, you Awana parents, your child's got to learn a verse this week. Here's a good one, all right? Right up there with Jesus wept. Okay, this is, this is one even Pastor Glenn, at my declining age and memory, uh, this is one I can even remember. As a matter of fact, let's say it out loud. Out loud together, never stop praying. One more time out loud together, never stop praying. Don't look at the screen, out loud together, never stop praying. You just learned a Bible verse. Who says we're, we're too old to, 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 learn, to learn verses? Um, Thomas Kincaid um, writes, uh, Greg and Tiffany, I'm sure you have a lot of Thomas Kincaid in your home, right? You know, you just, so much, so much. There it is. Okay. Um, Thomas Kincaid, he writes, rather than set aside daily time for prayer, I pray constantly and spontaneously about everything I encounter on a daily basis. When someone shares something with me, I'll often simply say, let's pray about this right now. Now, I don't know that I would go that far to say rather than set aside a daily time. I think both are helpful. It's like two wings of an airplane. I think it's a great thing to have a daily time set aside for prayer. But along with that is this constant conversation with God. Um, I think not having that time might be going too far because I believe a set time of prayer is good along with constant prayer. But I love the balance in this uh, quote by Smith Wigglesworth 
which, by the way, has the coolest name ever in, in history. He's a great British evangelist of the 1800s. What a cool name. He said, never pray more than 20 minutes, but never go more than 20 minutes without praying. And I, you know, I can, I can handle that. That, that, I, that I can do. About 20 minutes, you know, that, that's, 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 that's good. Uh, maybe a set-aside time. You know, it's, it's kind of like a friendship or a marriage. Um, you have a set time in, in your friendships or in your marriage where you talk longer, you know, like um, a time you go out to lunch or a coffee or something. But then you also talk to each other uh, throughout the day. And I think that's a great, great model for prayer. Uh, seven things God does when you pray. Number one, your prayers can help set someone free. Now, next Sunday, I'm going to preach on finding freedom. And I really encourage you to be there. I think this is going to be the most, one of the most powerful times we've ever had here in God's Word. I mean, right now, in advance of next Sunday, I want you to think of one area in your life that if you had freedom in that area, how would it change your life? How would it bless your life? If, if, I, if I could have freedom, I'm thinking of mine right now, if I could have freedom in this one area, what a change in my life it would be. How much more blessed and happy and, and how much more effective I would be for God. And next Sunday, I'm going to give you some concrete steps for gaining freedom in, in, in that one area. Uh, your prayers can help set someone free. Beth Moore writes, there are parts of our calling, works of the Holy Spirit, and defeats of the darkness that will come no other way than through furious, fervent, faith-filled, unceasing prayer. It says in Acts 12 that Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Number two, your prayers can contribute to a peaceful society. I mean, you can pray for the royal family that, that God will, will bring. Okay, it's good that you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, that's good. It means you're not looking at People Magazine as you check out in the grocery, in the grocery lines. Your prayers can contribute to a peaceful society. 1 Peter 2, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, I urge, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and, and dignity. You can change the world. You can pray. You should, we should be in prayer right now for brothers and sisters in Christ in the Middle East. We should be in prayer for missionaries from Purpose Church that are in the Middle East. Right now, we, we can pray for a, a more peaceful and quiet society so that God's Word can spread more effectively. Number three, your prayers can protect others from temptation. It can protect you from temptation, but you can pray for your children, for your grandchildren, for other friends of yours. You can pray protection from temptation. Uh, Peter said, uh, Jesus said to Peter, he uses the name Simon, which is another um, a nickname for, for Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. So your prayers can protect others from temptation. Number four, your prayers can help people make an impact in ministry. Paul wrote to the group of Christ followers, the Church of Rome, and he said, would you please pray that I'll be rescued from those in Judea who refuse to obey God. 
Pray also that the believers there will be willing to accept the donation that I'm taking uh, to Jerusalem. And then uh, number five, your prayers can lead people to understand spiritual things. Uh, Paul says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. We can pray for other people and for ourselves that will gain insight into spiritual things. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And then number six, your prayers can influence people to Christ. I love this quote by Evil Knievel. Do those of you that are younger know Evil Knievel? Raise your hand if you know Evil Knievel. Okay, we had a debate on this one as to whether um, it would be uh, generationally, cross-generational. Evil Knievel um, said, I don't know what in the world happened. I don't know if it was the power of the prayer or God himself, but it just reached out either while I was driving or walking on the sidewalk or sleeping, and it just, the power of God in Jesus just grabbed me. All of a sudden, I just believed in Jesus Christ. I did. I believed in him. And praise God, the way he lived his life, he needed to be ready (laughs) at any moment uh, to, to meet his maker, I'm telling you. So Jesus says in Matthew 9, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Let's hold that there for just a second. The harvest is great. There are people around us at work, in our neighborhood, in school, friends that we have, that are hungry from God, but they don't even know that they're hungry from God. They they, they don't know that that's their ultimate need. But the workers are few. Jesus said there are so few people that will say, what's my oikos, the Greek word for household, the 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence. Um, Your assignment from God is to go to heaven And to do everything you can to take your oikos with you to heaven. Your family, your friends, uh, people you do recreational events with, people in your neighborhood, people at school, people at work. Uh, And Jesus said the harvest among our oikos is great. But the people willing to engage their oikos to build a bridge that they can walk across relationally to meet Jesus, the workers are few. And then he said in verse 38, he said, Um, So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. And then number seven, your prayers can help you to get to know God. Uh, Paul wrote uh, to the Christ followers in Ephesus in the nation today of Turkey. He said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit uh, in in, in your inner being. Uh, I pray that out of his glorious riches, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. God wants us to put certain habits into place at the beginning of the decade so that at the end of this decade, we will grasp more than we did at the beginning of this decade. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul wrote to his friend Philemon, and he said, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share uh, for the sake of Christ. So what's next for you? What, What concrete step 
a habit can you, can you commit yourself today? I want to give you some ideas. Um, if you look there in your outline, and you'll see the first two pages are the study outline, but then the next one says, what's next for you in the area of prayer? And there's some practical suggestions as to how you can strengthen your prayer life, make it more of an ongoing habit within your life. And if you put just one of those little things in here or another one that, that you think of, if you put it into place, um, you'll be closer to God. You'll know him better at the end of the decade than you did at the, uh, at the beginning of the decade. Now, before we begin our final section, I just want to have a little bit of fun. I know it's been like uh, science class from seventh grade, and some of you are twitching from those memories and that kind of thing. And so let's just let's just take a deep breath and uh, let's just have a little bit of fun. I want to see if any of us here are as smart as the three smartest guys in the world, at least with one question. Okay, at least with one, one question. So so here's the quiz. I'm going to just have you shout it out. What are the first six words? of John 1, verse 1. Let's put the reference up there, John 1. What are the six words, first words, of John 1, verse 1? Anybody shout it out? It, in the beginning was the Word. All right. Let's cut down the home stretch. The second way that we want to talk about to get to know God is building your life on God through His Word. And there's such a wide variety of people who have built their lives on God's Word. I mean, everything from Denzel to the Queen Mother. Uh, Denzel Washington writes, I read the Bible every day. Queen Elizabeth II writes, To what greater inspiration and counsel can we turn than to the imperishable truth to be found in this treasure house, the Bible? And I bet she's been looking this week in the Bible to see if it says anything about wayward grandchildren. Just, just checking to see. Now, if you know nothing I'm talking about, good for you. Okay, good, good for you. Um, three responses to God's Word. And I just want to finish up with three very obscure Old Testament stories about three obscure kings, but three kings and three responses to God's Word from these three kings. The first response is rejection. And the one that illustrates that is King Jehoiakim in Jeremiah 36. Jeremiah brought him a copy of God's Word, uh, of, of the Bible, uh, sent it to him, and here's how he responded to God's Word. It says in verse 21, the king sent Jehudah to get the scroll, and Jehudai brought it from the room of Elishama, the secretary, and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. It was the ninth month. And the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. Whenever Jehudai had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Even though Elnathan, Deliah, and Gamariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Instead, the king commanded Jeramiel, a son of the king, Sariah, son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, son of Abdeel, to arrest Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord had hidden them. And so the first response people can have to God's word is to reject it, just like King Jehoiakim did. Then there's a second response, and that's ab apathy. 
Um, uh, and King Ammon is an example of this. In 2 Kings 21, verse 19, Ammon was 22 years old, and when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem two years, his mother's name was Meshulamath, daughter of Herez. She was from Jatba. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. He followed completely the ways of his father, worshiping the idols his father had worshiped and bowing down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his ancestors, and did not walk in obedience to him. And so the years went by, and they completely neglected God's word out of apathy. And the temple there in Jerusalem fell into disrepair. And an old dusty copy of the Bible just gathered dust on it in some back storage room there in the temple. So the temple was falling apart. God's house was falling apart in disrepair. And the Bible was hidden in some back storage room uh, gathering dust because of apathy. And then the third response is one of passion for God's Word. And it's illustrated by King Josiah in the next chapter, 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 8. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. When they started, uh, Josiah given orders to renovate God's temple in Jerusalem. And as they were restoring it and renovating it and cleaning it up and getting it back into working order once again, lo and behold, they discovered a, a copy of the Bible. And he gave it to Shaphan who read it. Now skipping to verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. And that's the attitude we want to have as we enter into a new decade. We want to have passion for God's word. We want to talk to God in prayer. We want to listen to his still small voice in prayer. And we want to listen to his voice through the pages of his book, the Bible. And so I want to ask you and challenge us, what concrete habit or plan are, are we going to build into our life today that will cause us to be closer to God through his word by the end of the decade? What's next for you in the area of reading the Bible? And if you look there on the back, our communications team has done this great job of preparing these practical steps. And if you look on the back there, what's next for you in the area of reading the Bible? And if you go out to the Purpose Store um, out in, in the lobby, uh, they, they will have uh, growth binders uh, for you there. And uh, here's some pictures of the growth binders, the outside ones. And have you ever noticed, wondered why the sermon outlines have staple punches in them, the hole punches in them? Well, that's because they fit into these growth binders. And then the inside of the growth binder looks like this. And now we've got a new prayer section that we've just added to it so that you can have this growth binder that'll go with the, the preaching on Sunday morning to, to give you a practical step for interacting more with God's Word. And then there's some practical ideas here. Uh, the SOAP method and the daily readings just this week from Psalm 119. And then the Wayfinding Bible. This is a totally cool Bible. It costs a little bit, 
But you know what? If, you're, if you can't afford this, you talk to me. I don't want anybody not to have this because they can't afford it. I'll, I'll pay that. Um, I haven't checked it with Kimberly yet, but we, we will cover that. Okay. It's good news. She's at the 1111 service. I can make all the promises. And she says, well, don't promise at this service. Well, I already promised the first two services, but I don't want money to be a hindrance if, if, if that particular Bible with its Bible reading programs uh, would be a help to you. But what greater joy is there than entering into the new decade knowing that we are going to walk side by side, hand in hand with the God of the universe? That he invites us, that he loves us, that he desires for us to get to know him better at the end of the decade than we knew him at the beginning of the decade. What an absolute thrill to launch on that adventure uh, for the new year.